Good evening. Good to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11 is where we'll be at tonight. I uh, have a handout that not everybody got a hold of, so I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers from either the youth or the college kids to uh, come help me pass these out. If you did not get a handout yet and don't mind passing these out, uh, you'll raise your hand. Uh, One of these gentlemen will bring you a copy of it. And it'll be useful for you. So if you haven't got one, please raise your hand and those guys will uh, get you one in just a second. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Uh, Daniel chapter 11. Uh, if you are, uh, this is your first time with us in a while, or if this is your first time with us, period, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for visiting with us. I know we have a few of those, so we're really grateful uh, that you're here. I uh, will tell you that uh, Daniel has proven to be, uh, we've, we, we're are wrapping up a study, hopefully tonight, uh, on the book of Daniel, and it's been a blessing, uh, and a great study, uh, but it's been challenging, and if you're coming in right at the end of it without the context of the, the rest of the book, it may be even more challenging. So just give you a heads up there that uh, you haven't come in at the, the easiest time for me to make sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you have questions, come talk to me afterwards and we will uh, figure out what we, can, uh, what we can see in the book of Daniel. Let's review just for a brief moment for all of us and especially for anybody who might be here uh, for the first time or may have missed some of our study. Uh, the book of Daniel is about uh, particularly Daniel who is uh, an Israelite uh, that is in exile in Babylon and he along with three of his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rise to positions of influence, positions of power because of their wisdom and intellect and ability uh, that God blesses them with uh, because of their willingness to make sure they don't conform too much like the world around them. They, they are in the, the midst of the Babylonian culture. Uh, they're slaves in the Babylonian culture, uh, but they still stand for what God says they need to do, live the type of life that he says that they need to live, uh, with some very specific things in Daniel chapter 1 especially, and God begins to bless them, them there, and especially Daniel continues to bless them throughout the next 70 or so years probably. Uh, and Daniel survives multiple regime changes, not only from king to king, king in the same kingdom, but probably at least two kingdoms, perhaps three different kingdoms uh, that are in power in the very same place that he is a slave in, and he is in a powerful position, a position of influence uh, in each one of those. So a pretty spectacular story, and all of that happens in the first six chapters of the book, Uh, and then we get to the second half of the book, and it gets, the first six chapters are the story of Daniel, the narrative of Daniel, and there's some really great stuff in there, but it's definitely the easier stuff. Uh, the, the second half of the books, verse chapter 7 through 12, is definitely more challenging because there's a lot of prophecy, uh, there's a lot of uh, analogy, there's a lot of things that Daniel himself, who's receiving these visions, he doesn't even understand. He doesn't understand before angels come and talk to him, and he doesn't even understand after angels come and talk to him. So the point for us would be that for us to really get it really easy, really quickly, without much effort, is not going to happen. Uh, and even maybe at all, we may not understand fully exactly what everything uh, Daniel uh, 7 through 12 especially is talking about. One thing that's u- unique about especially chapters uh, 10, 11, and 12 of Daniel is it's the only chapters that are all the same story. Okay? Think about Daniel chapter 1 is when they come to Babylon in exile. Daniel chapter 2 is the king's dream. Daniel chapter 3 is the golden image. Daniel 4 is a different story. Daniel 5 is another story. Daniel 6 is Daniel and the lion's den. Then we get to a a vision in Daniel chapter 7. There's a separate vision in Daniel chapter 8. There's another vision in Daniel chapter 9. And then we get to chapter 10 and he has a vision and he doesn't understand it, but he's, he's perplexed by it. He's, he's uh, bothered by it. Uh, and then in Daniel chapter 11, really the end of chapter 10, end of chapter 11, and that's, this is where we're at. We're going to be on 11 today. Uh, remember at the end of chapter 10 or partially through chapter 10, uh, he, 
There's this, this different kind of being, more than an angel it seems, certainly more than Gabriel, the other angel that has previously uh, shown up and talked to him. And that same angel, the conversation is not, again, in every other chapter, from chapters 1 to 9, there's a break. And there's some sort of time period change, whether it's in the narrative or a different vision. There, each chapter is its own section of scripture. But chapters 10, 11, and 12 are all one continuous thing that's happening. Okay, he has the vision of the first part of chapter 10. He's, he's bothered by it. Uh, he has concerns about it. At the end of chapter 10, this being that perhaps is pre-incarnate Christ, but at the very least is an angel, at the very least is an angel, shows up and says, hey, I'm here. And we, we talked about angels and demons or uh, good angels and fallen angels and all that kind of stuff last week uh, or two weeks ago uh, a little bit. Um, and, and now in chapter 11, that same being... Whoever he is, the man, as he's, he's described as, but it's clearly not a, a person like we are, uh, is continuing his conversation. Okay, he says uh, in, in chapter 10, I came to, uh, to I, as soon as you started praying about this and fasting about this, because at the very beginning of chapter 10, he says, I've been fasting for three weeks. Uh, the angel says, hey, when you first started fasting, when you first started praying, I was going to come, but I was delayed because there was this evil angel here or this demon here that I had to battle against, and he prevented me, and then Michael showed up, and there's just all kinds of stuff. You guys might remember uh, chapter 10, all kinds of stuff that's really interesting that we'll study more in depth perhaps another time. Uh, but he finally gets to Daniel, and notice what he says, especially in chapter Chapter 10 and verse 14, because it's important to, uh, to what we're thinking about, okay? Uh, Daniel chapter 10, let me make sure, it'd help if I was in Daniel instead of Hebrews. There we go, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 14, this, uh, this man, this being who's speaking to Daniel says, now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the last days, for this vision pertains to the days yet future, okay? So he's going to make uh, a vision uh, to be known, Daniel's going to prophesy this vision through his writing of days yet future. And who is the vision about? Daniel's people. That's important to help us to understand what the vision is about. Who's the vision about? Daniel's people. Who are Daniel's people? The Israelites or the Jews. That's important for us to understand this vision and who it relates to in the ways that we can. And really, tonight... We won't unpack it all the way. This will be the last time that we'll be in the book of Daniel as our primary text. But next week, or the next time we have, I think it's next week, uh, a Sunday night, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25, where chapter 25 especially talks about the second coming of Christ. And some people think Matthew 24 is about the second coming of Christ. I'm going to suggest to you that it's not about the second coming of Christ. And, and Jesus references Daniel chapter 12. Okay, so next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 24 which will reference Daniel chapter 12, and we'll unpack it a little bit more, uh, and we'll unpack it a little bit tonight as well. We'll unpack the, the prophetic side of it. Uh, I think that we'll be able to unpack, my understanding of it is, we'll be able to unpack when the prophecy came to be, came to uh, fruition uh, next week, okay? All right, so let's, uh, we'll start uh, in Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Again, just recognizing and remembering uh, that this, this same man, this being that has been speaking to Daniel and saying, hey, I came, but I was delayed, and now I'm here, and I'm going to tell you about what's going to happen to your people in the last days. This same being is, is continuing to talk, and he's the one who does all the rest of the talking except for a little bit at the end of chapter 12 throughout the rest of the book, okay? This, this man perhaps pre-incarnate Christ, at the very least a very significant spiritual being of some variety, uh, is speaking uh, to Daniel here, okay? 
So he's, he's speaking, he says, now in the first year of Darius the Mede, all right, so that sets the tone for us. We've talked a lot about different kings. Uh, Darius the Mede is one of the, the last kings, probably the last king that Daniel uh, rules under or serves uh, with the Medo-Persians, okay? In uh, first year of Darius the Mede, I stood to strengthen and to fortify uh, and to be a fortress for him, okay? So again, another whole thing that we'll we'll have to study more in depth later. But this being, whomever he is, he says in chapter 10 that he came to the kingdom of Persia uh, to to help those kings. Uh, And now he says, I came specifically to help Darius, okay? Uh, So now I want to tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to stand in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. And as soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the kingdom of Greece. And a mighty king will stand and he will dominate with great dominance and do whatever he he pleases but as soon as he stands his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven but not to his own descendants nor according to his domination with which he is dominated for his kingdom will be uprooted and given to others besides him besides them then the king of the south will grow strong along with one of the princes who will grow strong over him and obtain dominion indeed his dominion will be a great dominion and after some years there they will form an alliance And the daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out an equitable agreement. But she will not retain her position of power, nor will she continue to stand with his power. But she will be given up along with those who brought her in and the ones who who fathered her as well as those as he who strengthened her in those times. All right. So. Verse 6 especially, verses 5 and 6, it begins to get very confusing. There's a whole lot of details, and the main characters in this prophecy are basically the king of the north and the king of the south. And there are a lot of details, okay? Uh, In in the study that I was doing, it says that uh, from from verses 1 to 35, there are approximately 130 prophecies about specific things that will happen. And 130 prophecies that came to fruition, and most... Bible scholars, whether they, be, listen, this is, this is how specific these prophecies are. The only people that doubt whether or not these prophecies were true, they, there is no, actually, there actually is no doubting whether or not these prophecies were true. The question is, how is it possible that Daniel prophesied these things? Maybe, in fact, it was a historian after these things happened who posed as Daniel. Okay, that's how specific it is, and we can, we're going to look at a little bit of that on your handout here in a few minutes. But the idea here is that, that no one doubts that, that the, the broad strokes, and again, these broad strokes, people aren't named here, but these things that you would read about in verses 1 through 35 that we're not going to take the time to read about because it would be more of a history class, and I know not everybody goes for that, and it'd be a really long history class, and I know most people don't go for that. Okay, uh, the, the, the prophecies, the activities, the things that this, these verses talk about these things happened. People agree on that. These things happened. The only doubt is, did Daniel prophesy these things before they happened, or did someone who lived afterwards act like they were Daniel and write them and attribute them to Daniel, okay? And so that would be people who probably wouldn't believe in the same power of the same God that we believe in. If I believe that God said, let there be light and there was light, I have no problems believing in a God who was able to predict the future, right? So there's there's a difference there, and there's the, there's the argument that Bible scholars or people who would argue against the authenticity of the Bible would say, well, there's no way Daniel knew all of these specific details. Well, you're right, and Daniel has never said that he knew any specific details, right? Remember the first dream that he interprets in Daniel chapter 2, the king's dream? And the king says, hey, I've heard that you can tell me what this dream means. And what does he say? I can't. God can't. 
And in every time, in every situation, in every circumstance, Daniel has always attributed uh, the, the knowledge that he receives, the prophecy that he's able to make uh, to God. So we can understand and appreciate that. Um, again, we're, we're going to talk about this, uh, this um, handout here in just a second. But let me give you just a little bit of details, okay? Again, there's some 130 predictions in verses 1 through 35. The earliest of these predictions would happen about 400 years after Daniel chapters 11 and 12 uh, are written. Uh, again, this man is still talking to Daniel, so that's important in the context of everything. Remember that man is saying, I'm telling you what's going to happen to your people in the last days because these things are yet to happen. So he's talking about things that will relate to the Jews, okay? That's important for uh, bigger picture ideas later. Um, in verse 2, where he says, so now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings, okay, so he's with Darius. And then he says, behold, three more kings are going to stand in Persia. Then a fourth will gain uh, far more riches than all of them. And, and as soon as he becomes strong in his riches, uh, etc. Okay, so um, very quickly when he says three more kings, he's just very quickly passing over about 200 years. Okay, three more kings are going to come. 200 years of history. Uh, and then there's going to be a, a great and mighty king who's going to be very rich. And he's, he's talking about there uh, Xerxes or Ahasuerus, uh, who we read about in the book of Esther. Okay, so the, the king in the book of Esther, right here in Daniel. Okay, uh, so, so that's what we're, what the history that even the Bible covers this time period and makes these connections here. We read about Ahasuerus is what he's called in, um, in, the, in the Bible in Esther chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Now Xerxes... We probably recognize the name of Xerxes. He's uh, certainly a, a, a historical individual, but he's also been in some movies uh, that some of us may or may not have watched. Uh, certainly, even if you haven't watched the movies, you're aware of uh, some significant historical things that he talks about. This is the king uh, where it says, and again in verse 2, um, an, a, another one will come with far more riches than all of them. And as soon as he becomes strong with his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the kingdom of Greece. Okay, do you remember the 300 Spartans? In history, maybe you have watched a movie related to that, but there were these 300 Spartans. Remember, Sparta was the, uh, the city-state of Greece that were the warriors, right? They were the ones who would take their weak babies and put them out and, and kill them because they didn't want any weakness in their, in their culture, right? They were, the, they were the warriors. If there were any warriors in the, uh, the kingdom or the city-states of Greece, it was the Spartans. And the story goes historically with some fair amount of accuracy uh, that some 300 Spartans uh, turned away Xerxes' army that came against them with far superior numbers uh, because of their tactics and the land and how they knew it and all of these types of things. But the end, this, is, this is prophesied that this would happen, and we know from history that it did happen. Now, it might have been dramatized for a movie or something like that or some sort of history, but we know that the Spartans stood against Xerxes and his army when he aroused, when Xerxes aroused uh, the Medo-Persians uh, against uh, the, the Grecians uh, during his reign. Uh, in verse number three, it says, a mighty king will stand and he will dominate with great dominance uh, as, as, and do what he pleases. Uh, this would be talking about uh, after Xerxes rises up his kingdom against the, the Greeks and eventually does conquer some of them. Uh, then there's a Greek king that comes about that turns it around the other way and dominates to a great extent. That's Alexander the Great. And if you'll remember, we've already talked about Alexander the Great in the book of Daniel. He's already been prophesied about. In some ways, uh, Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and even some of the other prophecies are repeats. He's kind of, he's kind of God is revealing to different people and in different ways and in different angles and with different imagery the history that's going to happen and lead to eventually the time of Jesus and the time of God's kingdom uh, in the church. 
And that's what Daniel is talking about and what most of his visions in some way eventually uh, tie to. All right, let's, let's look at this, um, this sheet right here. Again, this covers most of what happens in Daniel 11, 1 through uh, 35. I'm going to try and read through it fairly quickly, okay, uh, without much explanation. I know that you can read, but this will help me remember what's going on, okay? I will probably mispronounce a lot of names because I'm not Greek uh, or Egyptian or any of these other things. Uh, all right, uh, so the Persian kings of Daniel 11.2, again, that, that 200 years uh, would be the ones who are mentioned there, eventually leading us to Ahasuerus or Xerxes. Uh, they are defeated by Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. That's referenced in verse 3. Uh, the, king, the kings of the divided Grecian Empire, again, we've already talked about this in, in a previous vision, uh, that you know Alexander the Great becomes uh, great and mighty in his, his kingdom. Uh, his empire uh, stretches from, from India uh, all the way perhaps even to, to Great Britain and down into Egypt. I mean, he's got a tremendous, tremendously large empire, but at the height of his power, he dies very young. On the way back uh, from one of his campaigns, uh, he dies, and his kingdom is divided uh, into four kingdoms, uh, and two of those will become what Daniel chapter 11 refers to as the king of the north and the king of the south. And that's where this king of the north and king of the south, which are the main characters in Daniel chapter 11, uh, that's what it, it comes to be. Uh, so you can read in that, kind of that fourth one. If we're going uh, left to right, left to right as we go down, uh, Antigonus uh, aspires to be the next Alexander. However, he is soundly defeated by the alliance of the other three kings. Uh, Seleucius, who would be the uh, Ptolemy's general, uh, is given to the land, uh, is given to the land, is given the land of Syria, uh, which was Antigus' former, former territory. Uh, th- and then there's this continuing conflict between uh, the Ptolemies, that P is silent from my understanding, uh, and we think Ptolemies think Egypt, okay? Basically Egypt. Some more areas, some greater areas than just what we generally think of Egypt, but they're in essence, in our minds, in my mind anyway, to make it easy, I think Egypt. Okay, uh, and then there's, there, that's the king of the south, the Egyptians, the Ptolemies, uh, and then you have the Seleucians, which would be the king of the north, and the, the king of the north would be uh, Syria and Babylon uh, and that area, so they are more northern, they're not exactly straight up above Egypt, but they are more northern uh, than, than Egypt is, and there's this ongoing battle. Now, if you can remember in your mind uh, a, a picture of the Mediterranean, a picture of Palestine and that area, you have Egypt, which is in northern Africa, northeastern Africa. Okay, and then Syria is, if here's, the, here's the body of water, Egypt's here, Syria's kind of here, to the north, and then you have the Medo-Persians over here. What's in the middle of the kings of the north, the kingdom of the north, and the kingdom of the south? Palestine, Israel, okay? That's why these battles between the kingdom, king of the north and the king of the south heavily involve the Israelites, because in their travels, they're tromping through Israel every time they go and fight each other. Sometimes they'll even fight each other in or around that area. Uh, Many times, and I may not take the time to read all of this, uh, but what happens is uh, at some points uh, when when they're defeated, especially when the king of the north comes to the south and he's defeated, well, he's angry. And so on his way back home, he takes it out on the Jews and he destroys and pillages and takes from the Jews because he couldn't defeat the king of the south. uh, So he's angry on his way back north and he uh, attacks the the Israelites. Uh, And and these things happen and this is a tremendous amount of time and there's alliances and there's marriages. One of the things that's uh, interesting, if you'll notice on the the right-hand side on the third one down, it says an attempt to gain peace between the Ptolemies and the Seleucians. Antiochus II divorced his wife Laodice and married the daughter of... Ptolemy II, who is Bernice, read about that in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 6, uh, Laodice, okay, so, um, so 
I'm going to read it again to make sure I'm getting my mind right. In an attempt to gain peace between the Ptolemies and the Seleucians, Antiochus II divorces his wife and marries the daughter of Ptolemy II. All right, so Antiochus II, king of the north, marries the daughter of Ptolemy II, king of the south. Her name is Bernice. Uh, And then his wife, whom he divorced, kills him and her and their son. Pretty violent, right? Uh, And there's, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that kind of political intrigue and fighting and war and all of these things are talked about. And again, whether, whether we appreciate, like, enjoy history or not, people who do and people who study such things, they do not doubt the historical accuracy described in Daniel chapter 11. Again, the only doubt they have is it's so specific that they doubt that Daniel was able to, profit, uh, to predict it ahead of time. Okay, Uh, so again, I don't have a problem with that because I believe that God is able to do that sort of thing the same way he's able to do it earlier on in Daniel with other other stories and other visions and other things like this. Uh, So those things are important. Uh, As we get to the end, um, another different uh, Antiochus is, eventually we'll get to Antiochus IV who will be the one towards the end of this vision. Uh, He's going to go and uh, and fight against, again, uh, Syria and and those folks or he'll go and and fight against the king of the north and king of the south. Let's read the the last two um, blocks there. Uh, I think that's supposed to say Antiochus returns to Palestine and kills thousands. Again, that's where he's returning after he's been defeated in Alexandria uh, because Rome actually comes and and helps uh, the Ptolemies or the Egyptians defeat them. Uh, He carries off treasures of the temple uh, and returns to Egypt and, and and is turned away by the Romans, like I just said, sorry. Uh, and he takes out his fury on the Jews. And then Rome finally enters the picture uh, in Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 45, which is towards the end of this, uh, recognizes only the deity of war, not the, bothered by the emotions of women, but rather uh, in fury conquers the land before them, uh, and God will bring an end to them. We'll, we'll look at more of that here in a few minutes. But let's, let's go back to Daniel 11 and, and see... I hope that's a little bit helpful. Read it, study it, understand it. If you want to know more details, more details are available, okay? Uh, I don't have the time or probably the knowledge or the skill to explain it to you in a very, very great way, but I'd be happy to sit down and and, uh, study it together at some point where you can do your own research and probably figure it out. Uh, But let's go back to to Daniel chapter uh, 11 and let's look at uh, a few more verses here. Again, um, briefly goes over a a number of hundreds of years, hundreds of years in the first uh, few verses. Let's go down to verse 21. Uh, verse 21, in the midst of these uh, king of the north, king of the south, one king after the another, it says, in his place, one of these kings, a despised person will stand to whom the splendor of the kingdom has not been given, but he will come in a time of ease and take hold of the kingdom by intrigue. Uh, probably here talking about Antiochus the fourth, uh, and, and basically from verse uh, 21 to about verse 36 or maybe verse 40 all of that is talking about Antiochus the fourth and some of the things uh, that he does specifically some of the things that he does uh, with the Israelites again because that's who this vision is concerned about remember the man comes and tells Daniel I'm telling you things that will happen to your people in the last days he's concerned about the Jews uh, and we understand again setting our minds in the context of Daniel why is Daniel concerned about the future of the Jews Uh, Because it's been 70 years that the Israelites have been in exile. He understands that about that time was supposed to be perhaps when the Israelites were supposed to get to go go back, be out of exile. But God helps him to understand that that's not the way that it's going to be. And he's giving him more and more information, okay? Uh, In verse uh, 36, um, there seems to be either in verse 36 or 40, a shift from Antiochus to someone else. And this is where the, the vision 
and the, the historical accuracy and the, the one-for-one ratio that historians can say, yes, when, when, when Daniel says the king of the north did this, then we know this guy fulfilled that. Or the king of the south did that, we know that this king of Egypt, he, he did this. So lots of points that they can look to and say, yes, this happened, yes, that happened. When you get to about verse 36 or verse 40, it's a little bit fuzzier. It's not as, as, not as easy. Uh, and it could be, uh, again, broad strokes of these things could 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 relate to Antiochus the fourth generally or it could have been talking about someone else or perhaps it's talking about uh, specifically Rome is another option there so either a shift to Rome in verse 36 or uh, perhaps a continuation of Antiochus the fourth they're very closely related and and come in quick succession to one another uh, but exactly what it is uh, is a little more difficult to to find out here Uh, but let's notice what it says in verse 36 and following Uh, Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak astonishing thing against the god of gods. And he will succeed until the indignation is finished, uh, for which is decreed will be done. Okay, so we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes uh, Antiochus IV and some of the very wicked things that he did, especially in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but, But notice when it says, he will succeed until the indignation is finished. What, it, what God is saying here in this vision is the Israelites are being punished. This is their punishment for how they have turned against God. And this enemy, whomever he is, whether it's Antiochus IV or whether it's Rome or whoever it might be, he will succeed until God is pleased that the Israelites have been punished sufficiently. Okay? That's what uh, that, that phrase means there. Verse number 37 He will show no regard for the gods of his father or desire for women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. So this person, this individual, and we know that Antiochus IV does this, but we also know that a number of Roman emperors do this. Basically, they they equate themselves with gods. They say they're the god of gods. They say they're the the highest and the best god. Verse number 38, but instead he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and desirable things. Now this, uh, that verse there, some people think that that points to the the Romans because they are uh, certainly uh, a mighty empire, an empire of war, an empire that would uh, wage war across, uh, again, most of the known world. And he will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god, and he will give great honor to those who recognize him and will cause them to rule over many and will apportion land for a price. And at the, end, at the time of the end, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter lands, overflow them, and pass through them. Now, verse 40, and here is another reason why this passage is important, and while next week's class, next week's class lesson will be an important tie-in, is because there are a lot of our, our, our friends, our religious friends, who are... Um, Premillennials that they believe that Jesus is going to come and rule for a, a, a thousand years and there's going to be an antichrist and there's going to be a rapture and all those types of things. Daniel 11 is partially, they use some verses in Daniel 11 to, to support this idea. Specifically in verse 40 and when it says, and at the time of the end, the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships and he will enter lands, overflow them and pass through them. There's a connection that they make with the Antichrist there or the man of lawlessness from the book of Thessalonians. Okay, and we may have another lesson on that another time depending on how, how deep we want to go down this, this rabbit hole. Uh, but, but they make a connection here. But the problem is if we consider what we've already talked about a few times and I know I'm losing some of you, you're getting glassy-eyed so stick with me, okay? Okay. Um, 
In Daniel chapter 10 and verse 14, what did the man say to Daniel? I'm coming to talk to you about what will happen to your people in the last times. This is not talking about the end of the world. It's talking about the end of the Jewish world. Okay? Same thing for Matthew 24, by the way, that we'll talk about next week. Okay, so when it says in verse 40, and at the time of the end, that's also relating to verse 36, that he will succeed until the indignation is finished. Okay? We're talking about what's going to happen at the end of the, the time period of the Jewish people, certainly of Judaism as it would have been understood in the Old Testament. There's going to come a time when the, the, the Mosaical law cannot be followed the same way that it was followed even during Daniel's day and certainly in times previous to that. Uh, and, and Matthew 24 is going to unpack that even a little bit more for us. So, so it's not talking about the Antichrist there. That's a whole other discussion, maybe for next week or certainly for another time. Uh, but he's talking about the, the context that this man is telling Daniel about. And when we get to Daniel chapter 12, that will become even more clear, okay, that, that Daniel is concerned about what's going to happen to my people. Okay, that's why he was fasting for three weeks and mourning and crying and weeping. He was concerned about his people, the Jews. And that this being, this man came to answer, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to your people, the Jews, in their last days. Okay? Which again, Jesus references this, and he is prophesying about what will happen even after his lifetime uh, to the Jews uh, that we'll read about again next week. Um, so, uh, talking more, more about that than, than really anything else. Let's uh, look down to uh, verse number uh, 40 and 45. Uh, well, we just read 40. Let's read 45. Uh, and he, again, will pitch, uh, pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful uh, holy mountains. Yet he, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Okay, so the, the last part of that verse is the important part that I want us to think about um, with this vision. Whoever this great enemy is, and he's a great and powerful enemy, even more powerful than Antiochus IV, okay? Whoever this great and powerful enemy is that's going to, to cause the, the end of the world in the minds of the Jews, okay? Um, the end of, of their culture, the end of their religion, really, the end of their, uh, their way of life, certainly, especially, again, religiously. Uh, he will have a, a, an end. God will act whether this is Antiochus or whether this is Rome or whether this is somebody else, uh, the point of uh, verse 45 is God is going to act, that heaven is going to act. And we've seen that kind of same story in previous visions as well, that there would be evil things that would happen and bad things would happen and these, these wicked and evil um, uh, nations would rise up and do wicked and evil things, but God is aware of this and that God will act and that God would act in the lives uh, of these people. And then we get to, to chapter 12, and we're going to look at just a few verses in chapter 12, uh, make a couple comments, look back at Daniel chapter 2, and then uh, we'll be done. Uh, now, at that time, okay, so at that time, his, his end, the time of the things that he's doing that's going to be the, the end of, uh, uh, of the, the time for the Jews. Now, at that time, Michael, okay, well, who's Michael? Uh, remember, we looked at that last week, too. Michael is an angel. Uh, he's not just any angel, though. He's an archangel. He's a leader of angels, again, I do not claim to understand the world of angels and demons. I do not under, claim to understand even what we read about in Scripture fully, but there is some sort of hierarchy in the angelic world. Uh, and, and Michael is higher than some, maybe not as high as others. 
but he's an archangel. Uh, he's uh, one of the ones who seems to be in charge of protecting the land of Israel or acting in the land uh, of Israel. Okay, now at that time, Michael, the great prince, uh, who stands guard over the sons of your people, okay, your people, Daniel, the Israelites, he'll stand, and there will be a time of distress such as never happened since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued, okay? Especially this phrase here, uh, there, and there will be a time of distress such as never happened since there was a nation until that time. Jesus quotes that verse in Matthew 24. So again, when we look at it next week, hopefully it'll unpack it a little more and we'll get some a little more practical application of what in the world is this man talking to Daniel? What's he talking about? What is this uh, all about? Verse number four. Okay, so clearly uh, Daniel is concerned about this. He's been concerned about it before. Put, your, put yourself as best you can in Daniel's shoes. He's had at this point, especially from chapter 7 and following, about three or four or five different visions. And every time he's pretty confused about them. Uh, this last one, actually in chapter 10, he, he seems to be the, less, the least confused about it. He understands something bad's going to happen. And every time either God reveals it to him or an angel comes or this being, this man comes, but at the end of it, he still doesn't really get the full answers. And, and it kind of explains it here uh, a little bit in verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the time of the end. Many will go to and fro and knowledge will increase. Okay, uh, so why in the world, if he's making this prophecy, what's the point of this prophecy? What's the point of this vision? Why is this important? Now again, for the people who think that this is just some historian writing it hundreds of years later after it happened, for them it has no meaning at all. But for us, as people who believe in the God of the Bible, who believe in the God of, that Daniel served, it should be an encouragement for us. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18 verses 20 through 22, you know what it says how you'll know if a prophet's really a prophet? In a very, very logical way. If what he prophesies happens. Right? How, how easy is that? But, but the problem is, when you're predicting the future, when you're there in the moment predicting the future, there's no way to absolutely prove that you're a prophet because it hasn't happened into the future. And especially for Daniel, because this is hundreds of years later. Daniel is going to be dead when this happens. So there's no, there's no point in it for, for his glory or for his recognition. But what he's saying here, what the, what the man is telling him, hey, Daniel... Conceal these words, seal them up, put them somewhere safe so that hundreds of years from now, when these things start happening, people will be able to bring them out and say, hey, I think this stuff sounds like what I've heard about that, that Daniel prophesied. And this, this guy over here, uh, the, the Ptolemites, they must be the kings of the south. And, and these guys over here, the solutions, they must be the, the kings of the north. And it's matching this up so perfectly. And whether or not they realized it in the midst of it happening or afterwards, now, certainly thousands of years later, again, historians have absolutely no doubt or problem understanding that what is said would happen in Daniel chapter 11 and 12 does happen absolutely happens they may disagree about it being prophecy or not but it absolutely does happen so that's what he he's telling him and then look at verse five then i daniel looked and here's another interesting scene that we is not typical bible we don't read about this stuff a whole lot in a whole lot of other places 
Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on the other bank of the river. So he's been around uh, the Tigris and the Euphrates River, uh, in and around uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, that area. You can think back to, uh, that's the Fertile Valley. People think about that as perhaps even where the Garden of Eden was, the, the, uh, the, the place where, where life began because it was such a fertile valley. It was then, and, and it is now perhaps even. Uh, but uh, there, there, here's this, this scene. Then I looked... Uh, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on the other bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, so here's the man that we've talked about from Daniel 10, 11, and 12. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. So now, here's a whole other thing. Uh, this man is floating above the water. Yeah, I'll let you figure that out. I don't know, but, but he's an ange- an angelic being, pre-incarnate Christ. He's pretty amazing, whatever, you know, exactly what he is, I don't know, but he's, he's pretty amazing, uh, and he's floating above the water, uh, according to this, uh, and he says, how long will it be until the end of these wonders, okay? Now, wouldn't that be a question that Daniel is wondering? And seemingly, these two other beings that are there are probably also spiritual beings of some variety, angelic beings. Now, the only other angelic beings that we have mention of in Daniel are Gabriel the angel and Michael the angel. But you would think that if it was Gabriel or Michael, who Daniel has already seen, he would have said, and then Gabriel and Michael showed up and they asked this guy, what are you talking about? How long is this going to take? Right? So we don't know who it is, but there's these two other beings, one on this end, one on that end of the river on either side, and the, the man is, is floating above the waters, uh, and he, they ask, but the question is, how long? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he raised his right hand and his left towards heaven, and he swore uh, by him who lives forever that it would be for a time and times and half a time. Again, that's a confusing phrase, but it's not a phrase that we haven't already heard before uh, in the book of Daniel. And as soon as they completed uh, shattering the... Okay, now this does give us a little bit more, okay? That again will tie into next week, especially when we look at Matthew 24. So for a time and time and half a time. And then, but it gives us more details here. And as soon as they complete shattering the power of the holy people, all these things will be complete, okay? As soon as they... Well, who is this they? Probably all those different leaders and people and historical figures that Daniel chapter 11 is talking about. As soon as they complete shattering the power of the holy people, all these will be completed. Okay, well, who are the holy people? The Israelites. Daniel chapter 10 verse 14, I'm here to tell you about what's going to happen to your people in the last days. And then at the end of the the thing... when the, when the power of the holy people is shattered, then these things will be complete. All of this has to do with the Jews, uh, and, and specifically the Jews. Not a greater prophecy about other people, or certainly not about the, the prophecy of the whole world or its destruction, but specifically uh, about the Jews. Verse number 8, as for me, Daniel speaking here, I heard but could not understand. All right, so he's had this vision. He understands something bad is going to happen. This man shows up and says, hey, I'm going to help you understand. But Daniel doesn't understand. That's the way I feel when studying the book of Daniel. Okay? Then I, don't, I don't always understand perfectly, but, I, but I'm getting broad strokes about what's going to happen here. So I said, so Daniel speaks up, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? Okay, what's, what's the end? Now he's just said, the man in linen who's floating above the water has just said, when the shattering of the power of the holy people is completed, then all these things will be done. And again, that's going to, Daniel recognizes the Israelites, the Jews, are the holy people. And he's saying, he, in his mind, he's probably saying, what do you mean the power of the holy people is destroyed? What do you mean we're shattered? What do you mean this is going to happen? He, he's struggling with, probably maybe not with understanding it, maybe with accepting it. Accepting the idea that the Jews 
would lose their power, their position, their relationship perhaps even with God. In verse number 9, then he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up for a time of the end. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will, be, will understand. But those who have insight will understand. Okay, now that's interesting because we may, we'll reference this again next week, but in Matthew 24, when Jesus references Daniel chapter 12, he, he, said, he quotes the phrase, and then he says, let the reader understand. What did Daniel say here? Or what did the man say to Daniel? But those who have insight will understand. Jesus is making connections to Daniel. And there's definitely what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 seems to be, and I would say is, what Daniel and this man are talking about in Daniel 10, 11, and 12. There's a connection here. Quoting it, referencing the ability for us to understand it. Yes, it's hard and it's difficult. If, if you were Daniel or living during Daniel's time, you wouldn't have known. And that's even what the guy says here. Hey, Daniel, don't worry about it. Uh, for you, in some ways, it doesn't matter in essence, because you're going to be long gone by the time these things happen. This is for a prophecy for the people who will be alive during that time. Uh, but from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who uh, keeps waiting and reaches the 13th, 13, 1,335th days. Uh, but as for you, go your way to the end, and you will enter into rest and stand again uh, for your allotted portion at the end of days. We'll talk more about those days and that, that kind of stuff next week. Um, but again, verse 13, But as for you, Daniel, go your way to the end, and you will enter into rest and stand again for your allotted portion at the end of days. Uh, the man, whomever he is, says to Daniel, Daniel, don't worry about it. Uh, there's nothing you can do to change it. It's going to happen. You don't have to understand it. It's going to happen. And this prophecy that I'm making isn't really for you, Daniel. I'm just using you as a vessel to make this prophecy. And for people in the future, they'll understand it, and it will be understandable, and it will be something that will increase uh, their faith. Now, briefly, let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. Briefly back to Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Again, as a quick reminder, in Daniel chapter 2, the king of Babylon has a dream. Uh, He does not understand it. He calls his wise men, his magicians, his conjurers, all the people who would be his normal dream interpreters, Uh, But he asked them to do something a little different. He says, not only do I want you to tell me what my dream meant, but you have to tell me what my dream was, okay? I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed. You have to tell me what I dreamed and what it means, okay? And none of them can do it. And they say, king, that's a foolish thing to ask. Nobody asks that kind of thing because it's impossible. Uh, And then the king says, okay, well, you're all going to die. And Daniel's a part of that group, and they come to Daniel's door to kill him. And Daniel says, hey, just give me a few minutes. And he goes to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pray about it. God reveals it to him. Then Daniel shows up to the king. He tells him what the dream is and what it means. And you'll remember uh, that it's the statue, right? The statue with the head of gold, then the silver shoulders, then the clay. And, the, and it you know, gets less and less, less and less impressive the further it goes down. And then at the end of it, it says, and there's this unhewn rock or this this rock that wasn't cut out uh, that comes and crushes uh, the entire statue and talks about that being an eternal kingdom that God is going to establish, okay? And that's what it says in verse 44 and 45. Let's read that of Daniel chapter 2. And in those days, the days of those last kings that the statue represents, uh, the the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to an end all these kingdoms, but it itself will stand forever. 
Inasmuch as you saw that a stone uh, was cut out from the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will happen in the future, so the dream is certain and its interpretation is trustworthy. We're at the end of the study of the book of Daniel. We'll talk more about it next week, but we're really done with Daniel. I hope that it's been challenging to you. It certainly has been for me. Um, The first vision in Daniel is about the establishment of an eternal kingdom of God, which we know today of as the church. Uh, That we are a part of the kingdom of God. That's the message that John the Baptist said, the kingdom of God is at hand, and that Jesus said his first message was, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12, it's talking about all those historical events and talks with precise details that historians can look back and say, yes, this action was completed by this guy and this and this and, and understand all of these things and have no doubt about the, the, the fulfillment of those prophecies. Uh, and then we get to, to the end of it in Daniel chapter 12 and he says, listen, these will be things that will help people to recognize the, the power of God and the kingdom of God that is coming. Practically, what do we learn from Daniel? Um, and I, we've said this many times. Um, and just about, certainly every story in the narrative of Daniel, and seemingly just about, we would probably say, in every vision or dream interpretation in the book of Daniel, it always seems like the God of the Hebrews has no power. It starts out with his kingdom being destroyed and his people taken into exile. That God has no power. The God of the Babylonians must be greater. But somehow Daniel, the lowly slave, rises up into an extremely powerful position along with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Such a powerful position that he maintains his power in successive kingdoms and regimes throughout 70 or so years. And every time it seems like there's a vision or there's an event, Daniel thrown into the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, God has no power, God has no power, God has no power. In Daniel 10, 11, and 12, this wicked and evil, all of these wicked and evil people are going to fight against each other and God's people are going to be literally and figuratively stuck in the middle. The kingdom of the north will be coming through God's people to reach the kingdom of the south. The kingdom of the south will march through the lands of God's people to reach the kingdom of the north. Today... God's people are in the middle of evil people fighting back and forth. And it may seem like to us sometimes, God, why are you not acting? And we may be like one of those two people who asked that man in white floating above the waters, how long is it going to be till this stuff happens? How long, O oh Lord, till you're going to do something to help us? But in every single story in the book of Daniel, we know that God knows and we know that God cares. And eventually, maybe not on our timetable, time God acts. He knows He cares, and he acts. And that's something that I think should be an encouragement for us. Uh, In your life, when when you individually, you're going through something, your family, our community, our nation, the entire world, no matter how bad it gets, and it got pretty bad in some of the things that Daniel's talking about and has gotten pretty bad in other parts of history, God still knows, God still cares, and God will act. And wicked people will be punished, and God's people will be saved. And we'll look at another example of that next week in Matthew 24. Uh, but I hope that's encouraging for you. Again, I, it's been a challenge for me. I hope maybe it's been a challenge for you. Maybe you've been blessed by it. I, I know that I have uh, to try and understand all the things as best we can about Daniel. Uh, but I feel that way in my life sometimes. Trying to understand all the things that are happening in my life. Why is this happening? Why that? Why this? Why that? Why are all these things going this way or that way? Uh, but I still can have faith from stories like Daniel 
and many other stories in the Bible, that God is aware of what's going on in my life. He knows, he cares, and he will act in my life. Uh, tonight, if you're not a Christian, uh, we talked about this morning in our Bible class, uh, does God uh, love Christians to a greater degree than he loves the rest of the world? And uh, we had some good discussion on that. Uh, and I think ultimately you could say yes and no. That's kind of what we said. Uh, in a way, God loves everyone no matter how good or bad they are. God loves us. Uh, the difference is the Christian has a different relationship with God than people who are not Christians. And when Romans eight twenty eight says that God causes all things to work together for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, what that means is God does not cause all things to work together for those who don't love him or are not called according to his purpose. There's a distinction there, a different relationship there, a different way that God seems to act in our lives there. If you're not a Christian, then you don't have that relationship where God is actively trying to help you each and every day. doesn't mean that he's far from you. doesn't mean that you can't find him or that you can have a relationship with him, but you don't have the same relationship a Christian does with God, and God wants you to have that relationship with him, and so do we. Uh, so tonight, if you want to know more about that, we'd invite you to, to let us know that. Brothers and sisters, if you've got struggles like we talked about this morning, we're a family, we're here for each other, and we want to help each other on our way towards heaven. If you have any needs, please come as we stand and sing.